Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Table Church Podcast. We got another episode of Nerd Zone coming up for you. And I hope that these episodes have been a great opportunity for you guys just to learn more about the people that you worship with, at least if you go to Table Church. And who knows, maybe you've even found some some people that are into things that you're into as well. So Megan, what are we looking forward to today? Today we have a Nerd Zone episode all about knitting with Ivy Sprague and Mara Weatherford. And um, so, it covers many topics. <laughs> well, I was gonna say when I hear the when I hear the topic knitting, I think okay, I mean I'm ignorant, right? But I think well, yeah. this will be a snoozer. But then no. when I hear the people you've got on, I think no, yeah, this is gonna get interesting. And I learned a lot of interesting facts about a lot about of, knitting, like terms. Um, yeah, it was fascinating. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everybody, enjoy this episode of Nerd Zone. We have two very special guests with us today. We have Mara Weatherford and Ivy Sprague. Ivy, I've never checked. Is that how I say your last name? It is Sprague, yes. You make Sprague. it as flat flat and nasal as possible. Sprague. Sprague. <laughs> what um what what uh place in the world does that come from? According to my research, uh, it is Dutch from the word sprock, which oh. means elo- which means eloquent. So that's a really high bar to set for a podcast. I should that not have said that. Really high. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, we will all be holding you to that. Even though we're going to try not to, it will be in our minds the whole time. All right. And Mara, do you know, like, Weatherford, I think, is just straight out of Jane Austen, right? Like, this is an yeah, old... Yeah, I think it's it's probably just British. Yeah. Um, although Patrick, my husband, is um, mostly German. So it's, you know, mysterious origins, I suppose. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I've never, like, gone to, like, what does my last name mean, dot com or something. And Yeah. Well, you're I'm... just super snooty. And so is Ivy. Right. Yeah. So, you know me. My, name, oh. my middle name <laughs> i'm i'm the tradesman <laughs> you two are uh you know way more highfalutin than me okay so we have ivy and mara who are both a part of the table church family have been for maybe a couple of years probably around pandemic pandemic time <laughs> for both of you yeah. about um, a year and a half yeah okay so we've gotten to know both of you pretty well, but I'm pretty sure a lot of the people listening have not. So it'll be very fun uh, to introduce you to everybody. So do you two want to just introduce yourselves, talk about anything you want to, how you spend your days, any details about your life you want to share, all of that stuff to get us started? Ivy, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Ivy Sprague from the Dutch word meaning eloquent, uh, which uh, is accurate because I spend my days as a communications manager for a uh, major retail chain here in Des Moines, shall remain nameless. Um, But according to my Facebook bio, I am a word geek, Jesus freak, and all around fun gal. So that's, yeah. Um, I'm single. I grew up on a farm outside of Des Moines where my family still lives. So I get to hang out with my awesome nieces and all their 4-H animals on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I live in a tiny little house that I inherited from my family on the northeast edge of Des Moines. Um, 
it's amazing. It's an unincorporated area, which I tell people is the civic equivalent of white claws, no laws. So we can do yeah. whatever, whatever we want up there. It's like open waters. <laughs> it, it, yeah. I mean, we're not bound by any international codes or, yeah, nope. but. I will say Ivy, you had probably my favorite Christmas card that I received last year. Ivy's Christmas card for uh, anyone. I, I realize this isn't a visual medium, but it was you and your niece, correct? It was my niece, Kesley, who was eight years old at the time. Uh, and it's a selfie we took at the Polk County Fair of me and Kesley and her little calf named Snow White. Yeah. Uh, so I had a cow selfie on my Christmas card. So it's on my Instagram. Say hello to <laughs> Ivy if anybody wants to find it. But I mean, you both had children, you know, when kids are hot and they're tired and my niece was just like all done with having her picture taken. And I said, well, here, let's do a selfie with the cow. And the cow, of course, is like, what is this thing in front of my face? And can I eat it? So she got, it's like her nose. And it was just one of the best, most joyful pictures I could find to represent 2021. So that's what we did. It was absolutely like whimsy in a photograph. So well done. Thank you so much. Oh, Mara, how about you? Hello, I'm Mara. Um, I am a wife to Patrick and I'm a mom. I've got four kids um, from my oldest is almost eight and my youngest is two. And I stay home with them, which has um, been really great in a lot of ways. And it can be kind of chaotic in a lot of ways. Um, and in the time that I'm not doing that, I like to crafts and hang out with my dog and my cat and I I'm kind of a serial hobby trier so there's always something that I'm like have hyper fixated on and am buying all the supplies for and then doing for a year and then never again so um and also if you are part of the table church family you've probably seen me on stage uh either leading worship or backing up somebody else while they lead worship and so I do that a lot too Mm-hmm. I will say, first of all, Mara's husband, Patrick, was on the last episode, no, the first episode of Nerd Zone that we did on board games. Mm-hmm. So you can catch that if you haven't yet. And Mara's kids are wonderful. They're, they're, um, they're going to be and are gifts to the world. You're not <laughs> messing those kids up. Way to they go. are pretty funny. I remember seeing like a meme one time that said like, you know, I want to raise my kids to be like kind and loving, but to have just enough trauma to make them funny. And yeah, that's where we're sitting. I want them to be boring. Like, I, think we're, I think that's working out pretty well. I, so I think they're traumatizing each other more than you and Patrick ever. I did. hope that that's the case because that's, that's out of my kind hands. Of, that's kind of <laughs> a not responsible for what they do to each other. <laughs> really amazing parents and you get just the right amount of trauma from your siblings that's just to make you like a silly goose well-balanced they're going to be really good at conflict resolution well hope so it's still too early to tell but we'll see it's true I mean I think it's shaking out it's pretty okay well we invited the two of you on because you both have a proclivity for knitting true um would it be called like a is it a handicraft is it a textile related hobby like what is it exactly what is knitting 
your best estimation? I've most often heard it referred to as a fiber art. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. I've heard that too. For something as good as that, a fiber art. Yeah, or like okay. a needlecraft. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, all of you've got kind of a lot of fabric making related hobbies that are all like completely different and yet mm-hmm. appear the same to the outside world. Mm-hmm. Like so. padding versus crochet right is knitting yeah they all seem like they're kind of the same if you don't do them but if you do them they're not the same at all yeah Mm -hmm. I actually I actually did try to take up tatting several years ago and I thought a woman in her 40s who's unmarried who is a tatter I'm like there's I can only have so many spinster hobbies I'm like I'm just I'm gonna stick with knitting so tatting is really precise yes like People who need to work out their perfectionist tendencies on something uh, that's not going to like hurt another person, you know, (laughs) and you use, you use a thread that's literally like a spider's web. It's so fine. I'm like, I do not have the patience or the manual dexterity for this. All of the older women on my mom's side of the family tatted. And I will say, like, I think it would be interesting to learn how to do it. But I don't know, like, when they all graduated to heaven, you know what we did with that stuff? For the most part, we were like, what do we do with all this? (laughs) How many doilies does one household need, really? (laughs) I mean, just chests full of tatting, of tatted doilies and things. Um, There's only so much you need, you know? So it was about the journey, not the destination, I'm sure. But yeah. Okay. So how long have you been knitting either of you? And when did you get started? How did you get started? I was a crocheter in high school. I come from a family of incredibly talented makers. My mother is an amazing seamstress. I had like the best Halloween costumes and prom Mm -hmm. dresses and she's, she's incredible. And Lots of people who grow up with a parent who's that gifted in that area choose not to do that thing. So um, I taught myself to crochet. She was also a crocheter, so she could kind of help me. But she's also left-handed, so we had to, like, sit across from each other because I'm right-handed. And so, like, to teach me, I had to mirror what she was doing. Uh, And then I got into knitting in my early 20s, I think. Um, And so I knit... This is super technical and not great for an audio podcast, but I knit in the continental style, which oh. means I hold, I hold my yarn in my left hand because that's how you crochet if you're a right-handed person is you have the hook in your right hand and the yarn in your left. Oh. Lots of people who knit in the American style hold their yarn in the right hand. So I do not. That, I don't know. I don't know if that makes me a fascist or not because I'm continental, but that that's my knitting origin story. And story um, checked out with your last name. <laughs> it kind of uh, the Dutch aren't fascist um, that I know of. So <laughs> um, yeah, but that's how I, I started. So that was probably you know two decades ago um, that I started knitting, and I've gotten much better since I started. So. Wow. I've learned. (laughs) First of all, before we move on to Mara, Ivy, did you ever submit anything to the fair? I, yes. Um, I've been entering things in the Iowa state fair. Oh gosh, probably the last 10 years or so. Um, 
and I just finished a project this past weekend. It's going to be one of my state fair entries. Um, I, it's really more of a, uh, of a grudge match now because <laughs> you don't get to touch and feel the exhibits at the fair. They're all, you know, roped off. So you just mm -hmm. look at things, but from a complexity standpoint, I'm like, what I entered is way better than that. Mm -hmm. So I just put my things in now and I'm just going to make those judges tell me how much it sucks. Mm -hmm. But um, last year I did get an honorable mention for some socks that I knit. So mm -hmm. I kind of have to like take a step back now from my stance that you mm -hmm. know they hate everything I do. So, mm -hmm. but yes, I will be at the Iowa State Fair this year. Oh, everybody check that out. I will say you made, right. you made me a very lovely pair of socks. And um, they're so well put together. I actually have only worn them once because I'm afraid to ruin them because they are too nice. This is my there's, problem. There's plenty more where that came from, Megan. I will make you more. So, like, I need we, to get we, some socks from Target because I can't handle wearing these socks and being worried that I'm going to step on a nail or something. It's no good. But then I could ask you to mend them. So, that would be okay. All right, Mara, how about you? Okay. What was the question? When did it, how did well, I, when did you knitting? like, when did you get introduced to knitting and when did it really become something that you were hooked on okay. doing? And <laughs> all that. Um, that's crochet joke. Um, okay. So I, I think I was probably 11 or 12 and my aunt who is like a wannabe serial hobbyist, like she thinks she wants to do things, but rarely actually ends up doing them wanted to learn how to knit. And so she'd asked for a book for Christmas. This was before YouTube. So you had to get like a book and that's not necessarily the best way to learn things now that we have technology, but at the time that was what was available. So she got a book. And so me and my mom and my aunt all like got, you know, straight needles from Michael's or whatever, and some yarn and started working on learning how to knit over like Christmas or maybe, I don't know if it was her birthday or Christmas, but, um, they very quickly gave up and decided that that was not a fun thing. And I kept on doing it. Um, but then eventually I didn't really do it anymore. And then I crocheted for a little while and that was fine. And then, um, again, being kind of a person who tends to hyperfixate. one day, I just, I think this was probably, Oh, maybe three or four years ago. Um, I basically just one day was like, I want to knit a pair of socks um, because that had always seemed like a very impossible thing to make for some reason. And um, it turns out it's not impossible. And also like they knitted up pretty quick. So I was very terrified, but I did it. And then I just kept making more and more socks. The problem is I don't really like to wear socks. <laughs> so now I just have a lot of socks and they're really cute. Um, and so yeah, if anybody needs socks, <laughs> hit me up. I've got I that's like why when people get stuck on making like baby booties and stuff, they're probably right. just really addictive to make because you know, I think it's like, like you feel like they've done something really special for you, but probably they are just like mindlessly like need something to do with their hands. Yeah. And <laughs> it's really more like they're mutually beneficial for you to just like receive the gift, you know? That's true. <laughs> 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 oh it's kind of like when a gardener has way too much zucchini in august and they're like here i just had this zucchini yeah. i wanted to give it to you <laughs> exactly exactly kind of like that right yeah i will say i am also a continental knitter and i don't find that very often and i was some people also will call it 
so it's like English style versus continental style, or sometimes people will call it um, throwing versus picking, which is just kind of another word for the same thing. Um, and I used to be a thrower or an English style knitter. I don't know why. Cause I mean, like you said, Ivy, like if you crochet, it makes more sense that you would do it the other way. But I basically, I found that I was really slow. And so I, again, hyper fixated, <laughs> I was bound and determined to stop knitting that way. And I did, I taught myself. So if you ever think you're like, Oh no, this is just too hard to switch ways. It's not true. You can do mm-hmm. it. Just, it's like if you accidentally learn to play the guitar the wrong way and you have to unlearn it, but it's so worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. If you can just, you just have to decide you're going to do it and then just keep doing it. And eventually your brain, your brain like figures out what it's supposed to do and then it's fine. And then you you're like, why didn't I do this all along? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what, um, like what keeps you knitting? Like why? Cause I will never knit. I will never knit this sounds amazing for you. I love this for you, but I will never do it. So help me understand <laughs> why you would do this. Megan, Megan loves this journey for us, Ma. I love this um, for you. <laughs> I mean, I started cause I, um, was living alone in Northeast Iowa. Um, and it was so cold and I was poor comparatively speaking. And I just needed a hobby that would keep me warm. Um, <laughs> And just like a colonial, because, just like a colonial lady, just was like, you don't have we keep warm in the winter. <laughs> I lived, I lived in this 1940s house that I couldn't really afford to heat all the way, so I like knitted myself a shawl that I would sleep in, full on Laura Ingalls. Oh man, you guys, like I, I would sleep, I would sleep in a knitted shawl. Um, and the very first project I made, because I don't believe in, um, in small beginnings, I I made a sweater. But I did not understand the importance of checking your gauge, which for (laughs) knitting projects, it means you, they will give you gauge measurements. So you knit like a little tiny square and to match the pattern, it has to be so many stitches, make so many inches. I was like, I don't need no stinking gauge swatch. So I made my first projects with a sweater (laughs) that was so large, even my brother who was six foot eight could not wear it. <laughs> so, and you could now tell I have, while making it that this wasn't no, for no. <laughs> little baby <laughs> Ivy was like in for a penny, let's go. Um, so I have, I have learned, um, I have learned how to check my gauge and the importance of doing so. Um, and I also don't make a lot of sweaters anymore, I make things that the gauge doesn't really matter, but. The, what I, I love so many things about knitting and um, I love that it does, it keeps you occupied. It is very meditative. And I think for a lot of us, our, our daily work, parenting, you don't get to see demonstrable progress in much of our lives. So when I can, you know, I put a stitch marker in my row and then I'll work for 20 minutes. I'll work for an hour and I can be like, bam, look at, you know, I've made like three inches on this sock or I've done so many repeats of this pattern. I can see what I've accomplished in that time. If there's an error, I know how to go back and fix it. And I can see that I've fixed it. And that fulfills a need in me that, you know, our daily work and our daily lives, we don't get to see things that easily so often. Mm-hmm. That's, and then, um, Oh gosh, probably at least 15 years ago, um, I was getting my MBA and there was a woman in one of my classes 
we had been at you and I together and I was like, Hey, and you and I is a small enough school, but you're like, do I know you? Oh, I know you. Um, and we discovered that we had been at you and I at the same time. Now we're in the MBA program together and she was a knitter. And so she was part of this knitting group of people in Des Moines that she invited me along to. And I have made some of my best friends in the world through this knitting group. Uh, Cause it's, you know, women of all ages and life stages. And, and now I have friends in Scotland that I've met through knitting. Uh, it's just That's a cool. wonderful way to connect with people. And then I met Mara at Table Church. And Mara's like this super cool rocker chick. And she's got this awesome hair and she's got awesome style. And I'm like, she is way too cool for school. She's not going to want to be hanging out with me. And then I saw on Facebook that she was knitting this hat that said debt. <laughs> Do you remember what it said, Mara? Yeah, it says smash the patriarchy. <laughs> and it has a big old skull on it. And I messaged her and I'm like, can you tell me where you got this pattern? And then I see another super cool connection, a person that I'm like, she is way too cool for me. And then I found out she's a knitter. We can bond over this. And then I found out how cool she is on other levels too. But it's the, 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 the satisfaction of creating and then connecting with other people. That's true. I mean, you make a good point there that we often overestimate how cool someone is from far away. And the closer you get, the more relatable they are. And the more you're like, oh, we have something in common. True. Can't amazing. confirm I am not actually that cool. <laughs> um, but you I do get hats. I can see you. Hats. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a picture of that uh, hat, feel free to send it oh, yeah. on we'll add it podcast <laughs> cover image <laughs> i do i have the pattern and i've gotten the yarn to make it i have not started it yet but wait now how list. did you make a friend in scotland are you like did you do they have a wool section how did this happen uh, <laughs> this friend of mine that i met you know to the mba, to the MBA program uh, she has a blog and other knitters, they found each other through their blogs that they write about knitting and crafts. And so they all got connected. And then I got into the group through this friend of mine who has a blog. And we're all meeting up. Uh, one woman's flying in from Alaska. Uh, this woman's flying in from Scotland. We're all going to the Wisconsin Sheep and Wool Festival in Madison, Wisconsin in September. We have rented a house. Uh, it's a three-day festival. They've got like sheepdog trials. I'm really pitching myself as a single woman in search of a man right now. But it it's so much fun because it's just like this. It's like people who are super into the thing that you're into uh -huh. and they've rented out a county fairgrounds for three days. And you are going gonna, and getting it. You are going and getting your best life. I'm, I'm going to buy so much yarn, you guys. I think like if we're learning one thing through this series, it's that there's a con for everything. It's just Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Or like now a we're weird. setting a bar that every time we do one of these episodes, we need someone right. to mention casually that they're, you know, in a month or so going to <laughs> some festival. It's true. I love that you're pointing that out, Ivy, that like the... Uh, whatever draws you to this like spiritual practice of, of setting yourself to this discipline, um, it pulls people together that wouldn't probably meet or hang out any other way. And you have so much in common. So, yeah. Okay. And it's, I mean, to layer another 
spiritual dimension on it. I mean, these are people who ideologically and, you know, I wouldn't, we, they aren't people I would necessarily hang out with or even encounter. And it's a way to be in community with these women because they're all women. Uh, I do know one male knitter in the Des Moines Metro, um, but you know, and, and I get it. We just talk about life. You know, we're sitting around, we're knitting, we get on during the pandemic, we got on Skype calls and we hung out and I can talk about table church. I can talk about my table group and the women in it and the things that we're talking about, the things that we're learning. And it's just a way to show that because these are people who aren't church attenders, you know, um, you know, or maybe lapsed church attenders and just kind of talk about faith and, and my relationship with Jesus in a way that's not weird, but natural because it's just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And so is knitting. And that's what brought us all together. And so it's always been like a weird fibery mission field for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I am. I wonder this poses the question. There's only one male knitter in the Metro that you know of. Do you think just from your experience, Mara and Ivy are knitting patterns and um, knitting tutorials, things like that. Are they unfairly skewed toward a feminine audience? Is there enough out there for a male knitter to feel seen? I mean, I here's how, here's what I think. As women, we frequently have to enter into male-dominated worlds in order to enjoy male-dominated hobbies. Mm-hmm. So you'll be okay as a man if you go on like Ravelry and type in like manly hat. And then like knit yourself a hat. Like you can do it. Why would you not? I have known people that hit that. I have known men that knit or crochet before. They're few and far between. There is plenty out there for you. If you will have it. (laughs) Thank you for age. My husband can knit. (laughs) I, I think I like your point, Mara, that we don't need to be concerned about equalizing this to give better representation to men. We should just allow them to, experience, uh, you know, being, uh, in an ocean of feminine influence and finding their own footing. Cause it is certainly for you. And, and just like any, you know, niche group, you said every, every hobby has a con, um, there's a hashtag, you know, there are lots of men on Instagram. I think of, um, there's when I follow Brooklyn boy knits, you know, he's just a dude in Brooklyn who knits on the subway. Um, but he's also, you know, a man of color. And so he talks a lot about like representation in knitting and you, mm-hmm. there's a community out there for you, oh, Jim, mm-hmm. if you want to join the knitters, you will find that community <laughs> on Instagram. Come on in, Jim. The water's fine. We own knitting needles, knitting needles. We own knitting needles. Yes, we do. All right. So, Mara. <laughs> okay. So how about you? Like, why, why do you do this? Well, I have to say, I actually feel like a lot of what keeps me doing it is kind of similar to Ivy, what you started out talking about, about kind of that satisfaction of seeing your progress. I think um, so even for me, okay, I caught like a wild hair that said like, go knit a sock. And so, you know, at first I knitted like a really bad sock and it was like with like worsted weight yarn and it was tiny because I was scared to you know, I'm, I'm very stingy. So I didn't want to like waste, you know, my cheap Hobby Lobby yarn. 
Um, and so I, you know, started out small and then eventually I made like a full size sock and then I made like a pair of socks. And I think to me, there's, I find a lot of satisfaction, like, well, they were just practice socks, Megan. You gotta, you gotta make a practice sock first because you're scared anyway. So well, it's I think um, too, they have yeah. to match and that's terrifying. Yeah. But I'm, you can knit them two at a time. Did you know that? Oh, you can use the magic loop method. What? I know. There, there's some. There's want to see them. There's Sorry, a people in the audio world, but um, no. I have before you. Sure they yeah, that's two little sock toes. That's and they're like cotton candy colored. Anyways, there's there's a yeah, very so real time. There's a very real condition yeah. in the knitting world. <laughs> Second sock syndrome. Mara is gonna go there. Second sock you syndrome finish, is a real thing. You finish one sock and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is a mess. Two at a time. Magic loop. It's tricky to learn. And once you know how, now you've healed yourself of second sock syndrome. So but I think to me, though, getting back to my point, I think being able to look at something and say that is impossible. I could never make something that looks that good. And then to like do it and like maybe the first time it's bad and you're like, okay, well, this goes in the garbage like this didn't work out. But then like if you, you know, try again, it's going to be probably wearable like and then the next time it's probably going to look pretty good. And like maybe you won't you'll, you're going to see your own mistakes more than anybody else's. But like, you know, I made this match the patriarchy hat and that was my first color work project that I actually finished and I didn't think it looked that good. And then I had all kinds of people that to them, like they're not paying attention to whatever quirky thing I think looks bad. And they thought it was really cool or they thought it was really offensive. It just depends on who was walking by me. <laughs> they were like, this Target is that a legible hat that Mara made. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. There's words on it. You can read it. Um, and what so I think color, the, being able to look at something and say, this is a do it. I can't hear you. Oh, you're frozen. We'll just wait a second. There you are. There's Mara. We're not editing. We're not editing around this. This is just how it goes. All right. Well, okay. So now, first of all, you were talking about color what project with that hat? It's a color block. Color work. That's just where you have more than one color, like one or the one yarn. Okay. And you have to do that by magic. (laughs) Just magic. And it, it is very intimidating to to new knitters. Um, the very first colorwork project I ever did was legit like a coffee cozy, you know, like the the paper sleeves that you put around your coffee cups. I, I knit one of those um, for a friend of mine who was a knitter. And that's the awesome thing about knitting is like I gave this to her because she had given me like a bunch of yarn from her her stash, which is what we call the massive amounts of yarn that you accumulate once you start knitting. Um, and I gave this to her as a thank you. And she was like, no one has ever knit anything from me before as a knitter. And I, w- I know Mara's face just went, oh, and I was like, I know. Um, that was, yeah. And it was just like a way for me to try something. And I thought she would appreciate it. And I wanted to thank her, but she was like, no one's ever knit anything from me. And so I don't knit for my family because those ungrateful jerks don't appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Like I got you this gift set from Bath and Body Works. <laughs> that that's not fair though. I did make for my nieces. I did make them hats a couple Christmases ago that 
were in the colors of their cows from 4-H. And I actually knit like big ears and got craft foam and cut out like ear tags that I put in there. And I made one for their father, my nice. brother, the, the aforementioned six foot eight dude. Uh, and I made one for him and he actually wore it to church the Sunday after Christmas. So I shouldn't say they don't appreciate it. It just has to be something bovine themed that they would wear. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> I am Cheryl Kozakowski at Table Church. She makes me season appropriate coffee cozies. So I've got one with like a, oh, what is it? It is a like gingerbread man for Christmas time. And then I've got one that's got spring flowers on it. And I anticipate she may be asking me in the fall. (laughs) Another one. Yes. So. Love it. Okay. So Mara, um, do you have any ungrateful people in your life you knit for? Is it mostly just for you? Um, I mostly knit for myself. Um, I don't find knitting for other adults to be um, very satisfying because they can't, they don't really understand. Like, and then the other the other risk you run is that they might start asking you, like, "Oh, could you knit me a such and such?" Or like, "Oh, can you like darn this sock for me?" Or like, they start to get like ideas that you're gonna do all these tasks for them. So that's a risk you run. And um, so I do really like to knit baby things because I enjoy like the instant gratification of a very small project. And come on, you can come over here. This is Cleo. She's my child. She's going to sit here, I guess. Um, welcome to your first podcast. Um, yeah, so I mostly knit for me and I knit for babies. Cause they're small, so it doesn't take very long and they always will be cute and, and babies don't have to like it. Grateful, so right. it it's kind of takes away that big stressor, the not knowing if you're going to receive it properly, you know, cause they crap on exactly. everything. Cause it's a baby. They don't care. They don't. You're, you're giving it to the baby for you. Like yeah. <laughs> do that for yourself. You're not doing it for the baby. Really? Like that baby will wear what it wears, you know? Oh my word. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, okay. Before we move on from knitting, do you have any last words of wisdom, anything that you haven't shared yet, anything that you would like the people to know about your handicraft, your fabric, your, what, what was it? Your, our, um, our fiber art, fiber art. Yes. (laughs) Um, I just, I, I, I find so much, so much joy in it in just creating. Um, and, I'm in the midst of a book called, I think it's called Art and Faith. Um, and it talks about the spiritual dimensions of, of making and creating um, and how it, you know, it feeds something in us because we were created by a creator to create. And I just. That's Mara's rescue dog. Oh, okay. I <laughs> just. It probably was. Um, So I just encourage people, you know, find something where you can create, you know, is it, is it cooking? Is it knitting? Is it, you know, painting terrible watercolors, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it just feeds something in us that we think we don't have time for, or we think it's frivolous. It's not, it, it, it feeds something in us that I think God put there. So 
glass etching or like, you know, scrapbooking, old school scrapbooking. You do gardening, bread making, you know, whatever, make something. And like Mara said, even if it's terrible and even if it uses Hobby Lobby yarn, uh, which I'm so cheap, I would have torn it apart and used the yarn over. I've re-knit a sweater three different times because (laughs) I hated the outcome, but I loved the yarn. Loved doing it so much. I did. And that sweater won a ribbon at the state fair. So it was worth it. I think it it got a second. Oh, it was Kelly. It was Kelly green. (gasps) That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. Mara, how about you? Last words on knitting. Um, so Ivy, um, ripping out a sweater multiple times made me think, um, of something that I had thought would be funny to talk about, which is like the etymology of some goofy knitting terms. (laughs) And I did not learn these. I'm assuming that like the origins of these must have come from the internet. Cause I don't know how else that would be, but maybe not. Cause like a lot of old ladies knit and they can be really funny. You got to watch out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I learned is that, um, so like if you're going to undo something and you're going to just like pull it off your needles and just rip it all out, people call it frogging. Like, oh, I'm going to frog my work. And I was like, okay, that's weird. Like, why do we call it that? Well, somewhere along the line, somebody decided that like the act of like pulling the yarn out, it's like, oh, you're going to rip it and rip it and rip it, which sounded like ribbit, 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 (laughs) which is what a frog says. (laughs) And so I'm like, what weirdo came up with that? And now we all say that, like, that's a thing now. And so when you're alone by yourself with your thoughts in a deep meditative state, you come up with the best ideas. Right. And then sometimes everyone universally agrees that that's what that should be called is frogging because of ribbit, ribbit. Anyways, I think that's really hilarious. The other one is um, if you're just going to go back one stitch at a time, it's called a tink. You're going to tink back. And that's because it's knit spelled backwards. backwards, Right. That is adorable. Right. So anyway, that's some fun. Like if you get into knitting and you get into like the online knitting community and people are talking about frogging or tinking, that's what they're talking about. And that's why they say that it's very ridiculous. And it's really funny. You identify your people. Do they know the language? I guess, but I didn't eventually, eventually you can learn though. I figure it out through the powers of the internet. That is so precious. I'm about sick. That is so cute. Oh my word. I I think it's hilarious. Anyways, really though, I would just echo everything Ivy said about kind of the like, um, I don't know. I think there is something kind of like, um, I don't know. I just think there's like a God-given spirit of creativity in everyone. And um, maybe you create something like tangible or maybe like you're creating something that's less tangible, but I think we all have a drive to create in one way or the other. I think that's part of how we are made in God's image as our creator. And so I think, um, and I think anything that you can like do with your hands and at the end of the day, it's just something you did because you wanted to do it and not because you had to, or, um, you know, it's, it's like placing your joy in kind of just that act rather than, um, in like, Oh, like productivity or working or whatever. It's like, you just mm-hmm. have that thing. That's your kind of focus. And then at the end, like, and, and maybe you finish it or maybe you don't. Right. But it's, you know, like we talked about, it's the journey, you know, There's really nothing better to like help you remain present in the moment than some sort of work like this with your hands where you have to be present with it. Like you can't really check out. 
You have to yeah. you can get into the zone, but you can't stop concentrating on what you're doing and worry about something else or get distracted by a conversation or things like that. Like you have to apply presence. Right. While you're working on your pattern, you have to all the way work on your pattern. Like if you decide you're just going to keep going, you just, you know, you're going to end up confused or Mm -hmm. you're really, really long, long tube. Even people who think that they want to get into crocheting because it's not as persnickety as knitting, it really, you do still have to stay present. Like you can't just, Mm -hmm. you can't just like fly and not think. Right. There's a precision to it, but it's also one of those things that's like people think, like I said, like it feels really impossible. And then you try it and you're like, oh, okay. Like it's not impossible. And like, that doesn't mean everybody's like universally gifted at the same things, but um, it's like more feasible than people think. And so then yeah, it's a feel kind of impressive. There's always a moment of synchronization <laughs> when you're learning a new thing to do. Like I remember I used to be a photography teacher and long before that I was learning how to be a photographer, just not like a professional photographer, just like, you know, got a camera. And I remember the exact moment when I figured out how to shoot in manual effortlessly without having to think about it anymore. Like the moment where it all clicked and it just seamlessly made sense. And there's a, you know, science to it. There's an art to it, but there's always a moment when you try something new where it's been very, very hard. And then suddenly you just get in sync with it and you go, oh, and then you can learn anything. (laughs) You just have to push through to that moment. So if that is you, I'm, I don't want to be able to feed us. I just, I, I am a realist. I'm never going to knit. Like it's not my thing. I am never going to knit, but I do other stuff. And so if you're a person who thinks you've always wanted to knit, I'm sure that Mara and Ivy would be happy to help you. <laughs> help you up. Yes. We, we, yes. We will connect you. And I, I take terrible photographs, Megan. So we all have our different gifts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm real bad at lots of things, but I'm good at that. (laughs) All right. We're going to shift to a niche zone. So Mara and Ivy are both women of many gifts. They are both Renaissance women, if you will, if you can't tell by listening to them talk about knitting, they're just women who appreciate a challenge doing a thing that they're passionate about. They don't like to waste their time. Um, And so as we were getting ready for this, I knew for a fact that they both had many things that they could talk about. They're quite nerdy about, but I thought that it would be good after we talked about knitting to just kind of shift gears and go into a niche zone for Ivy and Mara. They're both going to share something different that is really their thing. And Ivy, go ahead and go first. Share with us your niche topic for discussion. Okay. Um, I have won ribbons at the State Fair for my knitting. I have also won trophies at the Iowa State Fair for powerlifting. Yes. And for those who don't know, powerlifting is weightlifting, but it is concentrated on three specific lifts. It is the squat, where the bar is across your back. It is the bench press, which everybody knows what that is. And it is the deadlift, where you basically bend over, grab the barbell, and then stand up. So this is an Olympic weightlifting where people are like doing the, the throw it above your head. That's really like terrifying. Down on the ground. And then drop. Yeah. And it's not CrossFit, which has a lot of Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting moves in it, but it's a different, um, 
exercise practice. Powerlifting is just those three lifts, the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. Um, and I have competed twice at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, I have um, enormous gaudy trophies in my dining room uh, from powerlifting. Um, and I love it because I um, am also of German ancestry because we live in the Midwest. Um, I'm 5'9", you know, I'm a larger woman. And it is a, a discipline. I, you know, I lettered in show choir. Okay. I was not an athlete as a young woman. Um, and I got, uh, I had a powerlifting coach who called it adult onset fitness. And that's what I got. <laughs> um, <laughs> in my, in my thirties, I was like, I need something physical to keep my body moving, you know, and, and keep strong and healthy. And I had an acquaintance who got into powerlifting and I just fell in love with it. Um, because as women, we feel so much pressure on what our bodies look like. And in powerlifting, the only thing that matters is what your body can do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so not, I mean, you know, it's great for overall health and weight management. And, but for me, it's great psychologically, because it is all about what my body can do. It, nobody cares what you look like mm -hmm. when you're deadlifting. I've seen pictures taken of me and I'm like, what is my face doing? Um, but that doesn't matter. It just matters. Does the weight come up? And do you lock out at the top with your body completely straight? And the, and the judge says it's a, it's a qualified lift. That's all that matters. And the training process is you're not competing against anyone else. You're just competing against you and the weight on the bar and how many times you can pull it, how many times you can push it. Um, and to someone who is uh, an introvert, I love knitting. Um, powerlifting is indoors because I'm a redhead and I don't like outdoor activities. I sunburn. Um, and it's just you. It's just they don't you like and you the bar. <laughs> like outdoor activities. They don't love you back. <laughs> they do not love me back. That family history of melanoma that I'm going to be indoors lifting weights y'all. Um, so I, I do, I like powerlifting and again, powerlifting is getting more and more women um, there's a tremendous event here in the Des Moines Metro called the women's barbell classic that I've yeah. competed in. Uh, and that is only women. And the last event, um, that I think it was held in April of this year. Um, they had girls as young as seven that were competing. Mm, um, awesome. it's just a tremendous, tremendous community of women that are developing here, um, to help other women be strong because mm -hmm. not only does powerlifting make you strong, physically, the strongest muscle in your body is the one inside your head. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things you have to think about while lifting to be the most effective and to stay safe, you know, mm -hmm. proper form and all these things. Uh, so it's just tremendously empowering for women. And mm -hmm. I love it. And when I moved to my new house, I had to buy a new squat rack because my house was built in 1906 and the basement is very low. So I had to like measure and make sure the squat rack would fit. And I'm, I'm five, nine. So if I want to do like an overhead press, I have to be sure yeah. that I'm standing like between the rafters in my basement so that I have enough room to press the bar above my head, but you can make it happen. Kids, you can make it happen. I will say Ivy, I co-sign on all of that. I, um, I too am a thick girl and I always have been. And there are so many things about sports that just like culturally um, are not friendly, you know, to everyone when you're growing up and things like that. But as an adult, I discovered I've always been like a hiker 
I love hiking and I've always been super strong and really flexible. Like I have always, you know, found no trouble. Like there's, you know, so as I think probably in my late twenties and into my early thirties, that's when I really like had a moment where I discovered I absolutely love any kind of, well, first of all, two things, especially anything kettlebell related and yoga. I am extremely flexible and really am quite strong, probably because I'm pulling around a lot of weight all the time. I don't know, but like, <laughs> it's like I, I realized in my late twenties or so probably about 15 years ago, I'm like, Oh, I do like being fit. It's just that it doesn't look like the things that have been offered to me in the past. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to make it a goal to look different than I do. It's about what your body can do. I loved how you said that. Cause that's really true with yoga and kettlebell, any kind of weights, anything like that. It's not about your body changing how it looks. It's look what my body can do today. That's even a little better than it could do two weeks ago. And it's just for you. Like it's, this is what my body can do today. Isn't that cool? <laughs> And that Mara touched on this too, about technology and and learning in new ways to do things and better ways to do things. And then finding a community Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a whole movement of, of, you know, women who power lift on social media. Um, There's a whole movement for people who do yoga, who are living in larger bodies. You know, there's all these people and all these inspirations that we can find that weren't available 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So while, I think social media can be a dumpster fire. Um, it also is a source of connection and inspiration and, and seeing people who look like me doing the thing I want to do mm-hmm. when I don't look like what I thought the person who was going to do that should look like. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like I love getting yoga instruction from women who have bodies that are like my body mm-hmm. and seeing what we can do and not mm-hmm. having to constantly uh, transpose my thoughts to think, okay, well, my body would do that this way. So anyway, all that to say, I agree. Also, I believe this is how you knew my neighbor, Leslie was through power. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Leslie and I met through the women's barbell classic when we competed in 2019. I met her. So she's a delight. Yes, she is. Awesome. All the wonderful people you meet when you have a hobby. Okay. Mara, your (laughs) niche, your little slice of expertise that you're going to share. Oh man, I feel like expertise is generous. Um, But, and I, and like I said, I, I dabble in lots of things, but I'm not necessarily good at many of them. But one thing I've been doing for a long time and that I think I do, I mean, they haven't kicked me out yet is I um, lead worship. So I learned how to play guitar when I was about 12. I grew up, I always wanted to be a singer. And my mom said, well, if you want to be a singer, you have to learn how to play an instrument. And I said, that's not true. And that's dumb. But okay, fine. Sign me up. And I, she said, well, do you want to learn guitar or piano? And I said, I want to learn guitar. And so she signed me up for piano lessons, which oh, didn't you. go well. So I said, "Mm, nope, this wasn't great. And 
to be fair, I think like a free opportunity came up and we were, we were broke. So, you know, we, <laughs> we took what was available. Um, but eventually the opportunity came to, um, learn how to play guitar and a really sweet, um, woman named Brooke Gornson, um, taught me how to play for free. And she basically just like showed me how to play chords and how to strum and said, all right, take off, like, good luck. And, um, and I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And so, um, the church that I grew up in, um, if, you know, the people who coordinated the worship team, if they caught wind of the fact that you played an instrument, um, they were pretty bound and determined to get you up there, no matter your like level of skill. Um, so, uh, whatever they lacked in, you know, regard for musical quality, they certainly made up for in inclusivity. And so it gave <laughs> me a lot of opportunities to, um, yeah, get to play with different people and get to work through, um, I think one of the challenges of leading worship as opposed to performing, which I've also done, is that um, you're working with a bunch of people, myself included, who are volunteers. They rehearsed whenever they had time this week, if they had time. They maybe didn't hear the song until this week for the first time. Um, Maybe they listened to a different version than the one you listened to. And so you're all kind of coming at it um, with whatever you have (laughs) in that moment. Um, And so like, is that a great way to like do a sweet performance? Maybe not. But what's cool about it is that that's not what you come together to do. You're coming together um, to hopefully lead a congregation in um, having that kind of space to um, really come close to the Holy Spirit and come close to Jesus. And so um, it gives you this opportunity to like work with people who maybe otherwise wouldn't be playing music much at all and um, produce something that really connects people um, to one another and to the Lord. And um, I don't know, there's something really powerful about that. And also really special about that because yeah, like if I wasn't in the church, um, would I still be playing music? I don't really know. I probably wouldn't be bouncing around with a rock band like I did in high school, but, um, it gives people an opportunity to, um, learn music that allows them to express, um, what's in their heart about their faith and also to admonish one another and encourage each other. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I really love it. I'm really grateful for all the opportunities that I've been given to do it. Like there's that extra level with worship leading for you, Mara, that you can see, like, there are people who are musicians, but then there's a difference between just simply like the abilities that you have or the interests that you have. Um, And then the level where it becomes something where uh, it's like clearly a gift, like the Holy spirit is doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about like, apply yourself to, uh, you know, activities that give you a chance to be creative, like in, in any way, like just be creative in something that has a learning curve that challenges you and that is satisfying to you, whatever that is. But there's also a way that like with, with, I think for you, Mara, and I'm also thinking too about like Emily Lawson at Table Church, people like that who like, you're a musician, she's a painter, you know, when you think about things like that, where there's a way that you can just be an artist, there's a way that you can just enjoy playing music, making music with people. But there's also a way where there's like this third component where like when you are doing this thing with people and suddenly there's like next level 
you know, like something about it is just next level for you where you can see the Holy Spirit's clearly doing something. And I would say that's definitely evident <laughs> in the way that you lead worship. I think I've maybe even said this to you. I think you might like, you might be your like most resplendent self when you're on stage, which is like such a cool, like evidence of like you bring years of love and dedication to something god is doing something through it and it's just a huge gift to people so yeah yeah well thank you i think it's it definitely is something if you're going to lead worship well that has to be an overflow of what's in your heart it's not Mm -hmm. something i'm not saying you can't just like fake it i mean i think we probably have seen (laughs) people do that before and that's um whatever it happens it's not you know it's not the end of the world, I suppose. Um, but I think to do it well, which I try to do, it really does have to be kind of an overflow of what's going on inside you. And I think one way that that's easier for me is that I really generally don't enjoy attention in any form. <laughs> and so I think where that has been a real gift with worship leading is that I'm not up there because I want people to know who I am, or I want people to be like, wow, you have such a great voice. Like, I don't like that. Um, it's fine. It's very sweet. Like I prefer not to be up here. If I could do this without having to be up here. Like if I could like sit in a closet and like do it for you without you having to like see my face or like without having to like pick out a cute outfit or whatever first, like that would be nice. Um, and I would probably prefer it, but that's not how that works. (laughs) And so it has really like benefited me. Um, because while on one hand, like perhaps I am just deeply insecure on the other hand, it has kept me really humble and I don't have like a big head about it at all. It's just, um, it's just part of who I am. And so, um, and really it's also part of like a way that I get to be invested in my church family. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. I mean, I think like, it's easy to look at the people on stage and think, wow, like those people are cool. They're doing cool things, but like, um, everybody who comes together to like put together the service, um, on Sunday mornings is working really hard at whatever thing they are gifted in. Like I always tell the coffee people, like they are my favorite because it's just a small little thing, but that gift of service that they have, um, that makes that the kind of thing they like to do. Like, I would not want to get up and do that for church. Mm. I would do it if I needed to, but like, there are people that like doing it. And that's very shocking to me sometimes. And I think similarly, like everybody, I mean, you know, the Bible talks all about, um, you know, that we're all parts of the body and we all have, um, different roles to play. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the one that I get to play. And it also is just super fun. So yeah. yeah. If you we talk music- a lot at Table Church about like vulnerable invitations. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say like that piece of doing something that you'd prefer, not the whole package of like what it takes to do it. <laughs> Like whatever it is, there might be something that you're incredibly gifted at, but like there's something, some element of it requires you to be very vulnerable and people can handle that in one of two ways. Like they can either embrace the awkwardness of that vulnerability or they can put on like a fake personality. Like they can start to build up a really strong suit of armor. And I can definitely say the worship team at Table Church, um, like for example, like you, Mara, Jay, you were people who are very passionate about what you're doing. And in the presence of a really vulnerable moment where you have to like stand a bit naked on stage, not literally, not literally, (laughs) but 
But it is that feeling of like, well, here I am. I'm stressed out and tired. And, you know, all of us are a bit of a hot mess, but together somehow something's happening. You can either put on a fake suit of armor or you can stay vulnerable and just let it be what it is. And that seems to be the conduit for the Holy Spirit to really do quite a bit. Like I I think a couple of weeks ago, Jay made a passing comment. He was leading worship and he couldn't stop crying when he was praying. (laughs) So afterward, he was just like, oh, what in the world? That was like, that's probably like the best, the best day you've had. I, you know, so yeah, um, I agree. Those moments where you're like, I could choose to put on my performer hat or I could just be me and people can feel it. There's a huge difference. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely true. Um, Do you feel like there's any words of wisdom that you'd have to pass on to women who also want to be a worship leader? Because that is so often not the case. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, That's a good question. I think... um, I don't like know. If I mean, a woman just... feels prompted to think that she may have a calling to lead worship, is she wrong? Well, I would say, of course not. I'm doing it. Hopefully not. Jeez. <laughs> Tell me now. Like, gosh. <laughs> um, I think that so it's interesting for me because I have, until we came to Table Church about a year and a half ago, I've always been in like pretty strongly complementarian circles. And so um I've been involved even in conversations where there was question over whether it would be appropriate for me to even as a woman, um, like lead a service without like some other like man technically presiding over me. Um, and so if that's like, if like the really conservative Christian complementarian world is not a world you're familiar with, like that stuff does happen and it happens a lot and that can be, um, really frustrating. And so I think sometimes it just, um, you know, you have to be committed to it for its own sake and not, um, because of what anybody else is telling you, you can and can't or should or shouldn't do. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a skill in and of itself. Like you still need to work on your musicianship and, um, you need to like watch cringy videos of yourself back to like, see if you look weird and would like try to fix that. Like there's weird performative parts of it, but I think really, like I said earlier about, it just has to be an overflow of what's in your own heart. And so, as a woman, I think, um, there's just like some tenacity that you have to have in general in the world (laughs) and, um, in such a kind of male dominated field is maybe not the right word, but, um, just a, a skill that is tends to be dominated by men. Like you can, you, you can make a name for yourself. And if like the people around you are not seeing that or respecting it, then like find a venue where you can express that where people see you and hear you and where that is able to bless them. Um, not because it's about you, but because there are people that are looking for the gift that you have and like, you will find where that is. Like God will bring you there. And Mm -hmm. that has been true for me. And I think that really will be true for you. If you just continue to press on, trust the Lord. Yeah. You made a lot of good points on like all levels of creativity there. Like, um, you have to be willing to look stupid. Um, you have to be willing to make mistakes in front of people, you have to be willing to listen back or watch back to what you did, like mm-hmm. for anything that you're doing, like any creator, um, you know, I like anybody who's listened to a rehearsal on a Sunday morning of the worship <laughs> team knows that you've all made an agreement that you're going to 
be a hot mess together and it will come together in the end. And you've got to be a person who doesn't probably the first step is like, um, perhaps maybe this is something, this is something that every person experiences, but I think women in the church have it in a particular way. Like you're very afraid of (laughs) um, sometimes like, um, how you're perceived, not wanting to be pushy, not wanting to, you know, whatever, all that you have to kind of like, you, I don't remember exactly how you said it, Mara, but you just have to like be willing to uh, apply your craft and look dumb and do what you got to do and put in the work. <laughs> yeah. You have to have kind of like a combination of like believing in yourself and also not taking yourself too seriously. And I think finding a way to make both of those things true of you is like a really important because you do have to push through a lot of like awkwardness and you're going to look like a dummy and somebody's going to know more music theory than you. And like, you're not going to know how to express what you want somebody to do. Like there's always weird things that you have to do. And so when you can all kind of like, like surely like probably, you know, I don't know what happens in other areas of table church, but like probably the most silliness happens like during worship team rehearsals. Cause we're just like, a goofballs. <laughs> so, you know, it's like a, there's just a lot of joy in it. And, uh, when you find like a group that like, I think is able to like respect one another while also knowing like none of us know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of joy and freedom in that to just kind of like, yeah. and there's, I think like to be able to do that takes a lot of confidence and yeah, confidence exactly. And humility are not at odds with each other, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it can't be because you've got to be good at what you're doing. Yeah. I don't want to, I mean, I want to sound good. Like, <laughs> um, for sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, you just have to get over that whole, like looking bad at doing something in front of other people thing, which as an Enneagram right. one, that is like the most difficult thing for me to do. Not yeah. because, well, other thing, but because I want to be perfect. Right. Well, and I'm an Enneagram five and like the worst <laughs> thing possible would be for people to look at me and think she doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. Um, and so that is very similar in that way. It's the risk you run, but even like, you don't know what you're doing. Like at some point you're not going to know, or you're going to know, and you're going to get to the note you need to hit or whatever. And it's just not going to come out the way Mm -hmm. that you wanted it to. And like kind of the beauty of worship leading too, is like, hopefully they're all like also singing, like Mm -hmm. they're not worried about you being perfect. I mean, there are people out there that like, that's what they're looking for in their like church experience. And that is like what it is, you know, that's maybe Mm -hmm. for another podcast, but, um, you're leading them in something that's like bigger than you. And so like your gift is to excel at your craft in the best way that you can. But at the end of the day, like it's going to come out how it comes out. And hopefully everyone was engaged in worship to the Lord. And that way, whatever your mistakes are, like they really don't matter in the long run at all. It's not important, you know? So it's, yeah, it's good. Ruth, I would say to close that up, um, it's about so much more than even just the craft. Um, part of the craft of worship leading is beyond even just music and, you know, bringing people together and doing all that. And all of that, it's also being a leader of a group of people and working with people. You know, it's so much more than just the music part. It's leading a team of people who are very different. (laughs) Like if you look at the stage on a Sunday in particular, at table church, the people who are on stage are so different from one another. (laughs) um, But there's, there's people who can perhaps lead worship 
they can do so many things, but in the end of the day, they're not great to work with. And I can attest for the fact that you, Mara, are great to work with. <laughs> I am a delight. I hope so. I try not to be like the pain in anyone's, you know, like I don't want to be the thorn in anyone's side, I guess, but you know, so good. Like I said, they keep letting me do it. So yeah. <laughs> still here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, let's move on quick as we close up. Um, let's give some pop culture recommendations. This can be books, movies, episodes, uh, something in the theater, whatever you're into these days. Uh, I don't know, a graphic novel, whatever. What are you into these days, pop culture wise, that you could recommend to the people? Well, I just finished on HBO Max, the series Julia, Uh, uh, the first season. And it is the story of Julia Child and how her public television show got started. Uh, I don't know how heavily it's fictionalized, but it is delightful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The actress who plays Julia is not someone that I have ever seen before. She's British. Uh, She obviously, you know, has the Julia accent down. And then Paul Child, her husband, is played by David Hyde Pierce, who was Niles on Freighter. And the whole thing is delightful. Um, And I'm reading a book of essays, the newest one from Shauna Nequist, called I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet. Mm-hmm. And she is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful writer. Uh, and this is a book about her going through a, a season of pretty intense transition in her life. And it's just, it's beautiful. So yeah. those are my two pop culture recommendations. That is awesome. I would add to that. If you've not ever read My Life in France, that's a really excellent biography that Julie Child wrote with her nephew. Um, and then, uh, also there's a movie, Julie and Julia, the, the, uh, Julia child half, you can just, it's kind of like when I watch Lord of the Rings, I fast forward through all the parts with Frodo and Sam and Gollum. Cause it's so boring. Um, I always, when I watch Julie and Julia, I fast forward through the parts where it's, uh, what's her name? Julie Powell. Amy Adams. Yeah. Amy Adams yeah. plays Julie Powell. Yeah. Julie and, Powell's book, don't read it. I'm just like flat out telling everyone don't read it. But that movie is really good. If you don't want to read the book, the book is really good. And that gives you like the up till that point. And then this series is lovely and it's pretty factual. So yeah. I, I also fast forward to the Amy Adams parts, mainly so I can get to Meryl Streep and Stanley Tucci. Yeah. Playing Julia and Paul Child. And it's precious. Nothing against Amy Adams. I like her and other things, but I'm, come Mm -hmm. on, I'm going to go watch Stanley and Meryl. Yeah. But Julie Powell as a person, if you knew her in real life, kind of the worst. So I'm sorry, Julie, if you're listening. (laughs) Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, Julie. We just don't want to watch your story on screen. Sorry. You try to be offensive. So I don't know. (laughs) Great recommendations. Okay. Mara, how about you? Awesome. Um, Oh man, mine are like less cool. I think. Um, but we just, Patrick and I just finished watching, um, Oh, what's that show? It's on Apple TV and everybody's talking about, Oh, severance. Okay. Ah. We're a little bit late to the party. It came out earlier this year. Um, very, very good. If you're into like mysterious psychological thrillers, 
Um, it's not like scary. I don't really like super scary things. Um, but if you're into like kind of the trippy psychological mm-hmm. shows like that, you might really like it. Um, and then I'm reading, um, or, well, okay. I would like, I wanted to share a book that I read recently. Um, it's called on the spectrum autism, faith, and the gifts of neurodiversity, um, by Daniel Bowman jr. Um, if you listen to the Holy post podcast, he was on that several weeks back. Um, and I listened to the audiobook. It's on script. If you're a script person, he is a beautiful writer. He um, was diagnosed with autism as an adult. And I have a couple of dear, dear friends who have um, children with autism. And so I wanted to kind of like learn what's going on in like your world and in your head so that I can hopefully like be a good friend. And it was just beautifully written. Um, really lovely. Um, he kind of tells his story. It's like, a, it's like there's heartbreaking parts and there's really like fascinating parts. And it's kind of a collection of um, just essays or blog posts that he's written that he edited into um, kind of a memoir. And so if you are neurodivergent yourself in some way, or you have a loved one who is, I definitely recommend it. Or even if you just want to read like a book that's really really delightful to read and has a really interesting perspective. You might really like it. So it was really fun. Yeah. I've seen that book. I I have not read it. I did listen to that interview. And I think like for anybody who's like, what's neurodivergent, just like go find the interview, search for it in podcasts and you'll find it. Holy post. Um, And then yeah, get the book. It's, it's good. It's a good conversation. So if you don't know what neurodivergence is, that's a good place to start. Just start with that. Go Google that because you probably do actually know some people that are that. (laughs) You do, very likely. Yes. Oh goodness. Um, If I were to say a pop culture recommendation right now, first of all, if you haven't watched Severance on Apple TV plus, that is like a brilliant show. I mean, like I haven't been so tense at a finale in some time. Like I like, audibly yelled at my television when the credits started rolling and Mara we like I watched it week by week like old school release yeah it was torture so that was a really good show that was a really good show cannot wait for the next season but um so uh I have been reading a lot of books lately they've all been fine if I were to say what I'd, what I would recommend, there's something that I have not seen it all the way through. I haven't seen this season all the way through yet, but there's a series. Um, I believe it is on Apple TV. It's called the shining girls and it has, um, Oh, is it Elizabeth Moss? The actress from the handmaid's tale. Yeah. For a second, my brain is flopping on me. So, um, it's, a it is a psychological thriller with a science fiction element to it. I will say it's like a thick story. Like it's like, there's a lot going on. It's one of those things that, you know, you're just going to have to, it's like walking in your house in the dark where you kind of just have to feel your way through it, but you know, eventually you'll get to your bedroom and you can turn on the light. <laughs> 
like you kind of know going through it the first time that you can probably go watch it again and understand everything a lot better once you know what's going on. So um, it is like super confusing, but keeping my interest, which I think is probably hard to do to keep like extreme mystery and also keep me watching, which it is doing. So um, it hasn't quite finished yet. It will soon, but um, I have really enjoyed it. It's called The Shining Girls. So yeah. Um, awesome. um we were talking before this before we started recording about things that are and are not appropriate for recording (laughs) and I think these all are things that um adults of any kind could enjoy yeah I would say that that's true yeah. If, I, if I thought if I was going to be ashamed of like my church family knowing that I watched something, I would not have used that. As my well, problem. we talked about. I mean, I I am <laughs> a, I am a librarian at heart, which means I just input everything. Like I want to input everything that I possibly can handle, every kind of thing. And so it's like my interests are vast, varied. <laughs> when we were talking about like things that are or are not appropriate and what appropriate (laughs) means and things like that. And I mentioned that like without a doubt Encanto is absolutely the most terrifying movie I have seen (laughs) in just years. Like that movie is so unsettling to me. I tried to watch it. People I've tried to watch Encanto four times. And every time I watch it, I just feel so anxious, so unsettled at that family's level of dysfunction. (laughs) And the the fact that even the house, seems to be against this poor girl and leaving her in that nursery and not making her a bedroom. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't care great. if it makes her a great person. Not Ivy, have you seen Encanto? <laughs> I, I have not. And now as a very like emotionally porous person, like I just, I take in everything that I watch. I'm like, is this movie going to make me feel bad? And it's a different <laughs> movie. Everyone's like, Encanto's the best movie I've ever seen. It's the best Disney movie. And I'm, I watched it and I was like, I can't finish this. This is too much. It's yeah, too I don't know. Much. I, I think like about it. it. I also agree that it's dysfunctional. <laughs> but like well, every, every other Disney family is dysfunctional. They're all every weird. other. Well, and every other one, the mom's dead. So exactly. Like, yeah. I'm not saying there isn't dysfunction in every, in every family. It's just the a level to which this family allows this girl to get treated <laughs> like this. And they're all like good people, quote, quote, like they're good people, but they're being just awful people. I can't do it. It's so unsettling. I'm getting upset right now. I'm getting <laughs> So worked up. So anyway, mm-hmm. there you go. Um, we, close. we started this tradition and we're going to continue it um, really quick. Um, tell the people, ladies, how did you hear about Table Church and how did you end up in this church family? How, what was the uh, journey to that happening? We always say that it's because we, um, we came here without knowing anybody. And it's like every story of how someone found us is pretty much fascinating to me. So Don't like too fast. Okay. Sorry. Um, I uh, started following Table Church on Instagram right after you guys started. I was following someone else who started sharing about Table Church and I started following on Instagram. And then I started listening to the podcast. And about the time that I was looking for a new church home, 
uh, Megan, you and Phil were talking about members of the Table Church family and the unique jobs that they had. And you shared, and then Scott Ritchie works for this company that does sign language interpretation. And I thought there can't be another Scott Ritchie in Des Moines who works for a sign language company that I worked with in 2006. There can't be another one. So I texted Scott and I said, what's about Table Church? And he called me and we talked for like 90 minutes about Table Church. And Scott is on the worship team with Mara and is an amazing dude who I um, value highly and respect his opinion and admire his faith. And everything he told me about Table Church has proved to be absolutely true. And I'm really, really grateful to be here. Oh, awesome. I remember you came to a drive through service, which um, for those of you who weren't around in that era, we had some hot and toasty drive-in church services. 20 drive-in church in the blistering sunlight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thankfully got to be in my car with the air on. So I apologize to the environment. Um, and then those of us who were on stage, we would be like bringing extra shirts because by the time church would start, we'd be so hot. And then, um, (laughs) we'd have people who sat in their car the whole time and they'd be like, I got so cold with the air on, I had to turn it off. (laughs) And that's, I would never tell you that that's just rude. Um, but it was, I was so grateful that you guys did drive in church because it was the summer of 2020 and we hadn't been worshiping anywhere in person, but you know, I could be there with other people. I could at least, you know, watch people leading worship on stage. I could have you and Phil preach the word to me. And I'm like, okay, this feels kind of sort of normal. And I was just so happy. You can get out of your car when it's all over and chat in the parking lot. And it was all good. Yeah. Yeah. If you weren't like heavy duty social distancing, which I was, but Mm -hmm. you know, you could still see people. And then Megan and Jim were kind enough to have me over for lots of sushi dates on their socially distanced front porch. And that was super awesome. too. Socially distant sushi was a big highlight of 2020. (laughs) It was, it was indeed. That's awesome. That's like, that's fun. This podcast for people who don't know was a gift of the pandemic. It started out of necessity to like stay in touch with people because Des Moines was real hardcore. (laughs) So yeah. Mara, how about you? Um, so Patrick told kind of his version of the story on the board game podcast. So you've heard him tell it a little bit, but, um, just as kind of a recap, we had, um, we kind of had been through, we kind of been through a lot of church stuff. Like we had a pretty, um, challenging, um, few years in leadership at a church. And then we had left that. And then we were at a different church that we had been kind of familiar with. And we, kind of did that just by default. And we did that for a couple of years. And then, um, you know, in the summer of 2020 and spring of 2020, when everything fell apart for all the people, um, like many of you, we um, just became pretty unsettled and really kind of started to see that like, this is just maybe not what we're supposed to be doing. And um, really we're kind of concerned about how we were going to find a church. Um, I had known, um, of this couple, we weren't like super close or anything, but I had chatted with them a few times and we seemed kind of like-minded and I, they were, uh, going to be planting a church. Um, and I didn't really think anything of it at the time. I was like, okay, cool. 
Um, I feel like Instagram, like social media has been like the theme with a lot of people I know who've um, made their way to table church, but I ended up liking the Facebook page kind of just like in solidarity, I guess, of them, like, you know, planting something. At that moment, <laughs> at that moment, we were not thinking um, that we would need to find a church um, at the time that I'd done that. So again, didn't really think about it. And then, uh, yeah, found ourselves church hunting in a pandemic. And we had a baby in November of 2019. And so by the time we made it through like flu season and we're like out in public again, um, then there was a pandemic. So we were back, not in public. And so the very last drive-in service that Table Church did was our first like time at church as a family um, since yeah, I mean, like March of 2020. So that was in um, like late August, I believe, or maybe early September. And so, um, yeah, we came to the drive-in service. Um, it was fun. It was nice. Um, and then I had sent an email saying like, hey, we really thought that was really clever. Like, thank you for doing that. Um, and Phil was like, awesome. Like, do you want to get together and like talk about it? And we were like, sure. Okay. So he came over to our house and we had a bearded dragon at the time, RIP Nancy. Um, and that became like our, like, you know, we're all feeling like awkward. Like we don't really know him. He doesn't know us at all. He's at our house. And it's like, Oh, bearded dragon. And that like, you know, that was <laughs> Nancy brought us together. Um, and so we remember her in death as the reason not really, but yeah. Anyway, Nancy was a great, she was a great little fella. And yeah, the rest is history. Here we are still a year and a half later. And we've, um, yeah, it's been a huge joy and a gift to us. And I have to agree. The podcast was a huge thing too. We listened to the podcast a bunch of times before we came. And I really, um, it's, it's pretty amazing to me in like on the other side to see how this kind of like thing that was like really just meant to kind of bring you closer to like your people actually like reached beyond that. I think God has just used that in some really wild, some wild and crazy ways. Um, and it's, it's the reason that we're here. So That's awesome. really grateful for it. yeah, it started out as something called bedtime benedictions, which was an invention that we came up with because I said, we need to come up with something that's like FDR's fireside chats so that we can get into people's ears. And so if you go way back in the archives for spring of 2020, we started doing these daily recordings where we would go through like the um, Book of Common Prayer, like the reading for the day, and we would talk about it and things like that. And then um, we were totally just trying to do something where it was like every day for about 15 minutes, we can all do this together. Um, and Phil and I would come to the office and record them every day, but Sunday. And then um, after a couple of months of doing that, we got a ton of feedback and we realized that people really liked it when we went off topic and talked about like, um, you know, uh, what ice cream flavor we got somewhere or said something that was probably inappropriate. <laughs> then For man. That really are hit. people gonna are people gonna <laughs> love this episode then? But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So you anyway. weren't sure about us before, you are now. I know, right? But anyway, I will say, like honestly, I'll probably say this every nerd zone episode because we have these guests on, but 
the feeling in 2018 of deciding that we were going to move here and not knowing anyone in Des Moines and feeling sure we should do it and then getting here and truly not knowing anyone and just having to have blind faith that there would be people in the city who were like-minded and who would be called to go on mission with us to do these things that we are doing. And that God did have things in store for us here. Like the blind faith of that still, I am impressed with my past self for signing up for something like that. Like, I still think that sounds like a terrible idea, (laughs) but I did it. And, and to know, you know, now throughout all this time to have been able to meet so many people where, Um, We were all separately on our journeys and to see how we've come together now and the amazing things that we get to see happening in people's lives, all of that. So incredible. So, um, yeah, like it's just like, I mean, the two of you are an example of just like an absolute miracle to me. Like there was a time when I kind of like had to jump off a ledge in the dark and just assume that this wouldn't all fall apart. And if I had known at the time that I would be meeting people like you, it would have been I would have said yes to all of it, including the pandemic and all the other horrible things. It would have made it worth it. (laughs) So when you, let me ask this because I'm curious when you planted, like how big was your core team and how many of those people were from here? I know you had a few, but it wasn't a lot. We had, we started with 33 people that was adults and children um, 12 adults, um, I believe. And then kids, um, on that core team, there were two adults that had lived in Des Moines ahead of that. And I, forgive me if I forget anybody, but I don't think there was anybody else. Like that was it. We'd had some friends that had lived here for a couple of years ahead of time. Um, and so one of them had grown up in Des Moines. Um, I th- and I think that's it for people who are from Des Moines. Like we did not, we didn't know anybody. So it was, I was just like, anybody want to be my friend? That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> the adventure. Now here we are. Yeah. And I will say that Des Moines needed Table Church. Uh, Des Moines. Des Moines needed you and Phil and your families to be like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the people that I have connected with and the stories that I have heard, you guys are, are definitely, you're, I mean, you know, you're doing God's work, but Des Moines needed table church. It needed this community that you guys have created and that we are lucky enough to be a part of. So you feel the same way, but yeah, God is doing things, whether you see it or not. And um whether you're learning how to knit or feeling pretty sure that you should have a hard conversation with somebody, or you got to do something that God is asking you to do, just do it and assume at some point you'll figure it out. (laughs) Thank you so much, ladies. I'm sure anybody, if you want to get into knitting, these two are going to be very happy to help you out if you um, need some good pattern ideas or just want to like start knitting with more than one color, they will give you the confidence that you need. They will give you some of their confidence until you have confidence yourself. Amen. Amen. That's what we're here for. Even if you're <laughs> Thanks, a dude. Please.